Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Thank you so much, Blake, and the worship team for leading us in such a sweet time of getting our hearts ready to hear from God. So children, I want to help you. You can listen to the word walk or the word walking. All right, walk or walking. Either of those words, you can mark them down, and there's a special prize for those who listen well at the end. And not only the children, I encourage the adults to do the same. But there's no prize for you. The prize is seeking to apply the Word of God in our lives, right? Amen. Okay, well, when you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus, you get a sense of what it's like for the disciples to be with Him. And what we see is that you can be in the very presence of God, but you can still struggle with your own weak flesh. Matthew records for us how Jesus came back to his friends after he'd been away in this agonizing time of prayer, talking to God the Father about what was going to happen to him regarding the crucifixion. But before he went away to pray, he told the disciples to keep watch while he is gone, to stay alert. But what does he find them doing when he comes back to them? The thing we like to do in the afternoons, right? Sleeping. He finds them asleep. And what was Jesus' firm but patient response to them in that moment? He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now we know what Jesus is talking about, don't we? I'm sure all of us here understand what it means to have a weak flesh. We all understand that there's this tension inside of us that seems so powerful and so strong that it causes us to do the things we should not do. There's this daily struggle where we experience the weakness of our flesh when it's so strong in its sinful cravings and desires. And it frustrates us. It discourages us. It overwhelms us. Because when we should be watching and praying like the disciples were supposed to do, we rather want to sleep as well. And when we should be sleeping, the flesh rather wants to scroll through Facebook. When we should be teaching our children about Jesus, our flesh rather wants to watch a movie and relax and watch some kind of TV show. When we should be making healthier choices when it comes to what we eat, our flesh rather wants the food with the most calories. When we should be thinking and meditating on the Bible verse we just read, our flesh wants to think about all those things on our to-do list. That still needs to get done. When we should be enjoying the the freedom of purity, our flesh wants to engage in watching sexually immoral videos and images on the internet. When we should be believing the best about other people, our flesh wants to build a case against that person who has offended us and we end up in conflict relationships. And so as one man says, every wrong action, every wrong word, every wrong idea, wrong reaction, wrong emotion, wrong attitude that is sinful is from the flesh. The reason you get anxious, the flesh. The reason you fight with your spouse, 
the flesh. The reason you are full of pride, the flesh. In other words, the reason why you don't follow Jesus the way you should is because of your fallen human nature, your sinful flesh wants to take you on another path. Perhaps it feels to you like you're busy with this never-ending world war inside of you where you're fighting against all these sinful desires and you don't know if you're going to make it out alive. As we come to this next section of Galatians chapter 5, Paul is going to help us know how we can overcome the desires of the flesh that feel as if they are too powerful for us to control. He has been talking a lot about justification by faith in the first four chapters. And now, here in Galatians 5, verse 16 and onwards, he's going to be talking about how Christians actually become more like Jesus because of what he has done in justifying them. In other words, Paul gives us a solution to our daily struggle against the flesh. And the key person in this section is the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's not me. It's not Paul. It's not about our willpower to fight against the flesh or your own determined commitment to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's about the Spirit's power that is sufficient to overcome the desires of the flesh. And when He is in control of your life, then it's His fruit. It's His fruit that is put on display through your life. In other words, Paul wants to show the Galatians that the Spirit of God is sufficient for their sanctification. The Spirit of God is sufficient for your sanctification. He wants them to see that all this theology that he's been talking about is leading them to the Spirit's work in their life. Which is living a life that is controlled by His Spirit. Because we know by now that the Galatians are being told that it's not so much about the Spirit of God controlling your life as it is about you controlling your life by keeping the law and being circumcised. Last week we saw that the purpose of our freedom from the law is to serve other people in love. It's not to serve ourselves and continue living in the flesh as if Jesus didn't die to release you from that power. Rather, as Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You can see that's a very, very big if. If you have the Spirit of God, which every true Christian does. Every Christian who's really a Christian has the Spirit of God. Then you are primarily controlled by a different power. And the encouragement Paul gave us was that if we are serving other people in love instead of serving ourselves, this is when we're actually fulfilling the law of God. That was from last week. But then Paul also mentioned the warning. You remember the warning. A warning that if the church is not serving one another in love, they will become a church that is destroying one another. If we don't fight against the flesh through our loving service towards each other, then people will start to bite and devour one another. And eventually it leads to death. And part of the reason why this happens is because people don't understand how to relate to each other based on the freedom they have in Christ. And if you're honest with yourself, then you will have to admit that it can be very hard sometimes to serve others in love, right? Especially when my flesh wants to serve itself instead. And so you have to wonder, how can I do this? How can we as a church do this? 
How can we serve other people in this gospel-rooted love and avoid having conflict with messy relationships in the church? Paul's answer, the solution he gives, starts here in verse 16. The solution to finding our strong sinful flesh is to realize that the Spirit of God is even more powerful. Because look at what Paul's already said about the Spirit of God in Galatians. Back in chapter 3, he asked the Galatians how they received the Holy Spirit. Was it by works of the law or by faith? And the emphasis was on faith. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Which is like, do you really think that you can become more like Jesus by relying on your own efforts when you have already received His helping, powerful Holy Spirit? His whole point was that we are saved by faith and we are sanctified by faith. Then in chapter 4 he says that because you have received the Holy Spirit by faith, then God through His Spirit gives us the assurance. The assurance that we are indeed children of God. Because we have this cry of assurance that says through the Spirit, Abba, Father. And then in chapter 5 he said that it is through the Spirit that we wait by faith. We wait In other words, the Holy Spirit keeps our hope alive. When you feel like giving up, the Holy Spirit keeps our hope alive as we wait for that future declaration of perfect righteousness as we stand before the Father, where our flesh will no longer hinder us from doing what God wants us to do. You see, where the world wants to complain about how bad everything is, it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to say, you know what, it's okay. Someone is coming back to this world to fix it completely, including me. But what about the meantime? In the meantime, as we wait, we need to recognize that we are not on our own in our fight against the flesh. We are not on our own as we seek to live a life that glorifies God because God has given us Himself through His Spirit. We are not on our own as we seek to serve others in love. And that is because God has made good on His promise to give us the Helper. And the Bible helps us understand who this Helper is. Job 33.4 says He is talking about the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. The very breath of God. The one that was powerfully bringing all of creation and all of life into existence. Psalm 143.10 says He is the good spirit. The spirit of the living God. The spirit of the Father. The spirit of the Son. The spirit of life. The third person of the Trinity. Isaiah 11 describes Him as the, the spirit of wisdom of counsel, of might and understanding. John says He is the Spirit of truth, John 14. Peter says He is the Spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4. And Luke 1.35 says He is the power from the Most High. So when we are talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about some serious power. Power to create, power to give life, power to regenerate and cause people to become completely new people in Christ, power to raise people from the dead, power to glorify God. And all of this power is at our disposal as we fight against the strong desires of the flesh. And in order to do that, we need to understand what it means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We need to understand how we live in the reality of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Where Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because sanctification means we are filled 
with the fullness of God. We are filled with the grace, love, and presence of God. The Holy Spirit isn't some B-team option given to help us through the challenges of the Christian life. There's only an A-team because God is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are becoming more like Jesus because we are filled with the fullness and the power of His Spirit. But does that mean we just sit back and wait thinking we're going to become more like Jesus? Can we just sit back and expect to grow in holiness because we have the Holy Spirit in us? See, the flesh is definitely not sitting around doing nothing. It wants to take over and control your life, making you think that you have to do nothing. And so you have to ask, how can we fight against the flesh and my sinful desires and live in a way that brings glory to God, that puts the fruit of His Spirit on display? And what Paul tells us here today in Galatians 5.16 is, you must be walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5 and we're going to read from verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 and we'll read from verse 13. Paul writes this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, says Paul, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, what Paul is doing is he's reminding us that the Christian life is about walking and living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so that is what I want us to consider today in what that means. I want us to consider what practical Christian living looks like according to Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Because as we now launch into this final sections of Galatians, it's all about living in the Spirit. Spirit living. All throughout the letter, the contrast has been between law and faith. Works and grace. And now it's between the flesh and the Spirit. And we need to understand how to overcome the the strong, sinful desires of our weak flesh. And we can do that when we understand what it means to be walking in the Spirit. We can look at that in the first half of verse 16. Then we also need to understand why we are walking in the Spirit. Second half of verse 16. And then we need to understand the war that we are in every day. Verse 17. But firstly, if we're going to overcome the flesh, we need to understand what walking in the Spirit is. Because Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Now walking is a word that is used all over the Bible. 
It's a simple picture of putting one foot in front of the other. This is something we all had to learn as babies, right? And the same is true as we grow up and grow in our spiritual disciplines as well. Now think about that in terms of your sanctification. Think about that in terms of you fighting against the flesh. It seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Putting one foot of faith in front of the other while you're depending on God to give you the strength to take the next one. It's ordering your life moment by moment, one step at a time. And it's actually helpful to think about our spiritual progress in that sense because we realize that it's not this dramatic sprint. It's not this dramatic sprint. It's not like you're running this 100-meter sprint race as fast as you can and then you crash down falling on the floor. We try to do what is right for maybe day one, getting a little harder day two, and maybe day three you're hanging on, but day four you're flat on your face again. Because you gave it your all, but you just couldn't keep up that tempo. Rather, Paul says, this is a lifelong walk where we are walking in the newness of spiritual life, Romans 6. In Ephesians and Colossians, Paul talks about walking in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So it's walking in worthiness. In Philippians, he talks about walking in unity. Ephesians 4 is about walking in humility. Romans 13, about walking in purity. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about his own life and walking in contentment. Other places in the New Testament, he talks about walking in the light, in truth, and in wisdom. Which means, we are commanded here in verse 16, to walk in the same way Jesus walked on an ongoing basis. Because Jesus was walking in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, while He was here on earth with us. I mean, the prophet Isaiah said that this will be the case. Look at this, Isaiah 11.2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. Talking about Jesus. Then later in Isaiah 61.1, the prophet talks about how the Spirit will be enabling Jesus to do what? He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive. Then turn to Luke 4.16, and Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke says, goes to Galilee, and what does he do? He goes into the synagogue to preach, and what does he quote? Isaiah 61. And then in Acts 10.38, Luke writes that people knew what Jesus did when He came preaching in Galilee. And then he mentions how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus walked in the Spirit and it was a walk of obedience to the plan of God. It was a walk of obedience to the plan of God. It was a walk that was empowered by the Spirit of God. And so then the Apostle John later writes, 1 John 2, 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you say you have Jesus and His Spirit living in you, you should be walking the same way He walked. This is a walk of dependence. This is a walk of love. This is a walk of obedience. Which means that this is a walk that requires some effort, doesn't it? It requires effort to put one foot in front of the other. But it's also a walk that requires consistency. Jesus consistently did what God wanted Him to do. But God knows what we're like. He knows because of our fallen nature, we would much rather sit down when life gets hard and be led astray by our own sinful desires. That's why I love this picture about walking, because it's just so ordinary. It's just so ordinary. 
It's not this charismatic Acts 2, Pentecost, tongues of fire moment we have with, uh, in trying to experience the Holy Spirit in our daily walk of life. It's just trusting God and relying on Him by yielding to His Spirit one step at a time. Because the context in which every Christian and every true follower of Jesus lives is He has the presence and the power of the Spirit. Jesus promised and He gave us His Spirit. Now the thing is, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, inevitably, some conversations can get a little bit uncomfortable. You wonder why. We're serious about God the Father. We're serious about Jesus being God the Son. But it seems like we can take liberty when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because some people think differently about the Holy Spirit than others, because some make Him less powerful than He is, and others overemphasize His power, expecting God to do things He didn't say He will do. For example, you think of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Talks about the Holy Spirit in a way which says stuff like, the Holy Spirit talks to me personally. Or the Holy Spirit gave me a vision that you are going to do something amazing and significant. Or the Holy Spirit escorted me to heaven. He took me to heaven. They talk about His power being found in the anointed physical objects that they offer to Him in worship. Because walking in the Spirit in their minds is looking for constant miracles. As one commentator says, this movement has corrupted the church in thousands of ways. It is a haven for self-promoters, for those who are brash egotism and has spilled over into the evangelical church. Because in this movement, the current works of the Holy Spirit is to knock people over. To allow them to make all these silly noises up on stage where they're falling over each other, where they sound like animals. Where guys walk around with microphones, walking on the back of other people. And you think to yourself, does that sound the same as the way Jesus was walking in the Spirit? They claim He's powerful, But the emphasis is not on holy living and obedience, but about getting what you want in trying to manipulate God. Because the problem is, these guys are more concerned about spiritual gifts and miracles and speaking in tongues and all those things than they are about spiritual fruit. They don't care about the fruit. Okay, more about having this special gift and presence and feeling close to Jesus and His Spirit and be able to, to, to make this language just in their own bedrooms. Then they are about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness and self-control. But the problem with that is then on the other side of the spectrum... You might have people who acknowledge the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but to avoid sounding like the the charismatic guys out there, they don't really know what it means to experience the strength of the Spirit on a daily basis. And the danger is you try to go through the Christian life trusting in your own strength to fight against sin. It's saying in your mind, yes, I know that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, But because of all the sin and the junk you deal with in your life, you don't really believe that He can really be in you. Because where's all the power? And so you've got to flip what Paul is saying here. Because as you flip what Paul is saying, you start to realize what it means to walk in the Spirit. Because what's the opposite? Walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh. Because remember, the flesh is the old fallen human nature that does not want to do what God wants. It wants to get satisfaction from being independent, from feeling important, and seeking worldly pleasures. So walking in the Spirit then is not being controlled by those desires, but by a different desire. A different desire. 
I like how one man says it. He says, walking by the Spirit is what we do when we desire, when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. Because when you became a new person in Christ, God gave you new desires. Which means walking in the Spirit is a walk of faith because we need to believe that in those moments... In those moments when I'm discouraged and I'm fighting sin, when I'm tempted to, to listen to my fleshly desires, we've got to believe by faith that the Spirit of God is strong enough to help me to say no to those desires and say yes to doing the will of God instead. See, but the problem is many people trust in the sufficiency of the Spirit's power as much as they trust in the weather forecast. Because it's here that we need to realize. We need to realize that there's also a promise that God gives us here for those who are walking in the Spirit. First Paul says, he gives a command to walk in the Spirit just as Jesus walked. Every moment of every day, independence, love, faith, and obedience, allowing the desires of the Spirit to control our lives. Which means we believe that His power is stronger and sufficient to fight against the desires of my flesh. But then he explains why. If we are going to fight against the flesh, we need to understand why we should walk in the Spirit. Here's the promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Think about this. This is a guarantee of our sanctification. Paul is saying, as we live under the control of the Holy Spirit... We will not seek to satisfy those sinful desires you have that that, that are at war within you. Which is amazing, if you think about it. Because if you walk by the Spirit, God promises that you will not be controlled by the desires of the flesh. I mean, the original language is actually pretty emphatic. You can translate it like this. It says, If you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what you long for every day? That we will walk in the presence and the power of God, that our desires are shaped by His love for us, that it causes us to love other people and serve other people rather than selfishly serving ourselves. And so this is a promise that should give you hope. This is a promise that gives us confidence. This is a promise that tells us, as Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So think about your own life. When you're tempted to shout at someone else, God says, if you are controlled by His desires, you will not shout. When you feel this out of control, burning desire to want to look at that stuff on the internet that's gross, God says, if you're controlled by a bigger desire for Him, you will have the strength to stand up, walk away, and walk towards serving someone else in love. When you want to spend money on yourself for no good reason, because your fleshy desires feels that it is burning a hole in your pocket, then God says if you are controlled by His desires to advance the kingdom of God, then you have the strength to say no to that desire for yourself and rather seek to use your resources to bless someone else. And so the options options here are pretty clear. We're either submitting to the Spirit's leadership in our lives or we're submitting to our own. And so it's not just saying no to the flesh. It's more about saying yes to the stronger desires of the Spirit. Makes me think of when I'm teaching my son how to play cricket. He needs to focus on so many things when he has to bowl and and throw the ball straight. And what we teach him is not to tell himself, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that all the time. We rather need, he rather needs to focus on what he needs to do in a positive sense. 
And so in the same way, spiritual growth is not just about having knowledge about what not to do. It's about filling your life with the desires of God and focusing on those desires in a positive way so that you know what steps you can take towards doing His will. So the question is, how do I fill my desires with God's desires and be controlled by the Spirit and not seek to achieve the goals of my flesh? How does Paul put it in Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whether you Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. See, it's when we saturate our minds and our hearts with the truth of God's Word, then what is important to God becomes important to you. Because the Spirit of truth reveals the truth to you and helps you to apply that truth. And what we have in God's truth are His promises. In other words, we fight the the fleshy desires every day with the promises of God. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Paul said that to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I think many of you are familiar with George Mueller. George Mueller was a man who understood what it meant to walk in the Spirit and hold on to the promises of God. But he said this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. Now, what is the food for the inner man? Not simply prayer, but the Word of God. See, Mueller was a man that understood the secret of gaining victory over the flesh. And he was walking in the Spirit by meditating on the precious truths of God's Word as revealed by the Spirit until his heart was resting in his promises. And here's the promise of Galatians 5.16. As we consider the realities of living practical Christian lives, walk in the Spirit and you will not by no means gratify the desires of of the flesh. You see, but not only are we commanded to walk by the Spirit and are given assurance of victory over the flesh by the Spirit, Paul says that we need to understand our context because God understands our context. He understands the war that we are in, the war that is within. That's verse 17. We need to understand what walking in the Spirit is. We need to understand why we should be walking in the Spirit. And now finally, we need to understand the war that we are in. If we're going to fight against the flesh with the power of the Spirit and the promises of God, we need to understand the war that we are in. Paul says, For the desires, verse 17, of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is where we wrestle with the question of why do I keep doing this? I believe in Jesus. I know I'm forgiven of all my sin. But why do I keep struggling with these sinful desires so much? It's because you're in a war. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit has an enemy that needs to be put to death. And this means every day is a battle. Every day is a battle to be in love with God. And not in love with yourself. 
And part of our problem is that even as Christians, we often have this casual attitude towards sin. But Paul is saying here that the Christian life is a war. You need to understand the seriousness of the battle. Because Paul was a guy who didn't treat this battle lightly himself. He writes this in Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You see, an unbeliever might regret doing something wrong because of experiencing some sort of consequence. But he does not experience the same kind of war that Paul and other true believers experience on a daily basis because that person only has a fleshly nature. He does not have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The unbeliever does disappointing and disgusting things because that is consistent with his basic nature as someone that's an enemy of God. It's only in the lives of believers that the Spirit can fight against the flesh. Why? Why? Because it's only in believers that the Spirit dwells. It's only true believers that can walk in the Spirit as they engage in this daily battle. And because there is this battle, no wonder Paul said, Romans 7.25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So not only does God understand the war that you're in, but if you recognize that you are at war against your flesh, you actually need to be encouraged because... That, the war that is a sign of life that is inside of you. Because it's people that are not fighting, that have made peace with their sinful self, that doesn't have the Spirit within them. But if you are fighting, you are actually engaged against the flesh, and you have the power of the Spirit that guarantees that if you walk in that power, you will have victory over those desires. Think about it in terms of marriage. God calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church, right? Ephesians 5. Is there a struggle to do that every day? All the men say, absolutely. Why? Because my flesh says, when I get home after a long day of work, my wife should be serving me. But the Spirit says, you should be serving your wife first. So there's this tension. But that's what Jesus did, didn't he? And it's maybe easy to serve your wife when she's being sweet and she's being kind and she's being lovable. But what when she's not? The flesh makes war against the spirit, but praise God for the war that's in, within because it showed that there is life. There's life. And if you walk in the Spirit, God says, you will be able to love your wife and serve your wife and not just be thinking about yourself even when you get home after a long day of work. This war is going to go on until Jesus comes back. And knowing that helps us to take this life step by step, approaching the Christian life one step at a time. Because God says, the Bible says, this war is real. This war is real because we are living between two different ages. And we are currently living in the, the church age, where the Spirit of God was poured out on the church, and is at work through the local church. Because in Acts 2, God made good on His promise to send the Holy Spirit, and He gave it to empower His local church. Which means part of how we walk in the Spirit is how we walk together. As a local church. And it's when we are fighting this war together. As we walk in this spirit together. Depending on God together. Yielding to His spirit together. That we will grow to be more like Christ. When we deal with our conflict 
together. You see, this battle is going on between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And so you've got to ask, which one is greater? And the whole point Paul is trying to make is that the Spirit of God is stronger and greater. And so what this comes down to is, do you believe the Spirit is stronger than your own desires? Do you really believe the Spirit is stronger than your own desires? Even when you are face down on the floor. When you find yourself frustrated by the desires of the flesh and discouraged by what it's doing in your life. Because what is it that keeps us engaged in this fight? Paul says it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says here at the end of verse 17, The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, the Spirit is not going to allow the believer to indulge in the flesh for too long. Because I don't think Paul is saying that when the flesh and the Spirit go head to head, the outcome is just neutral. No one wins. He is saying that the Spirit is the one that always wins. And because He is more powerful than your flesh, He will keep you in line. I mean, it's like when you take this dog, take our dog, you take this dog out on a leash who wants to go crazy as he walks outside the gate. The Holy Spirit is like the leash that sets the boundaries. The flesh knows no boundaries. It just wants what it wants. It wants what it wants no matter the cost. But the Holy Spirit will jerk you back as you go too far. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Which means, walking in the Spirit is walking through the battlefield of life. And not just coasting along because you're walking in the Spirit. Because because you are walking with the Spirit of God, one man says, substantial significant and observable victory over the flesh will be evident. Do you know what you call that? Sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Which means we can't make excuses. We can't make excuses. Just knowing that our fleshy desires are at war against the desires of the Spirit, and that sometimes causes us to do that we, what we don't want to do, doesn't mean that we can make excuses not to fight sin and to love ourselves. Paul shows us rather that practical Christian living is engaging in a fierce battle every single day, but that we have been given a supernatural power that enables us to gain victory over the flesh every single day. We have the power to serve my neighbor in love. We have the power to deal with conflict in the church. We have the power to resist our flesh and gain victory one step at a time, one moment at a time, as we walk like our Savior walked. So don't you agree with me that it's time we take a walk? It's time that we take a walk. It's time that we recognize what we are doing and who is leading us. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about what it means that the, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because we need to walk in Him, but we also need to follow Him where He leads us. And so you've got to look at your life right now. Are you perhaps discouraged about your sin? Are you overwhelmed that you are perhaps not growing as much as you would like? Listen to what God is saying to you today. And don't try to walk on your own strength. Jesus was dependent on the Spirit every step of the way. And we need to do the same. Because as we walk in the Spirit, God promises and guarantees that we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And it's because I know that God understands my context, that He understands the war that is within me, helps me to take that next step in faith. 
We need to believe in those dark moments when the flesh wants to take over, that we have a greater power at work within us. That can allow us to stand up and walk away and rather walk in obedience. What are you walking in right now? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to just consider again what it means to to walk with you. Father, as we engage in this practical section of Christian living, being walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, showing the fruit of the Spirit, Father, we pray that your Spirit will fill up our hearts with your truth. Your Spirit will lead us to apply that truth. And those moments when we fight discouragement, when we fight the desires that's knocking at the door, Lord, that we would be able to walk away in faith, knowing and believing and trusting that your power is bigger and stronger than any desire of the flesh. Because you say so. You gave us that promise. And so, Father, help us to walk today and every day like Jesus walked in the power and the presence of your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that is the set-apart one, that sets us apart to look different from the world, your Holy Spirit that makes us people that shine the light of Christ in front of others through our service to one another. Your Holy Spirit that allows us to say no to the conflict that we have with others and say yes to making peace. Your Holy Spirit that allows us to say no to those disgusting things on the internet and say yes to loving my spouse or that person in front of me. Your Holy Spirit that enables us to pray in the Spirit. and to walk in the Spirit, following Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.